0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Futuristic Enterprise Podcast, a collaboration between Leaderonomics and TeacherEats. My name is Kim, one of the hosts for this show and in this podcast series, we interview leaders of sustainable enterprises and dive deep into their life-changing stories and the amazing work they are doing around the world. Thank you so much, uh, Cherry, for taking out your time to do this interview with us to spread uh, social entrepreneurship in Malaysia. Um, before we start, like introducing what Agria does more, uh, could you please introduce yourself and what is your role in Agria?
1: Yeah, so thank you so much, Kim, for this invitation. Uh, hopefully, we can inspire, you know, more people uh, because of this interview. So I'm Cherry Atilano. I'm the founding farmer and CEO of Agria Agricultural System International Inc. Um, basically, I started Agria and running it in terms of vision and strategies and how, you know, our vision of creating the first one island economy model in mm-hmm. the Philippines would. Uh, happen at the same time how we can actually change and contribute to 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 make our food systems better Mm
0: -hmm. i like it you call yourself founding farmer
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes Yes. because you so know that a lot of people are are comfortable of of being a farmer. Mm-hmm. So I said, why not? You know, it's cool to be a farmer. So I said, found, instead of founder, I mm-hmm. said, like, oh, let's just call it founding farmer because <laughs> we're working with a lot of farmers anyway.
0: <laughs> nice. Okay. So I want to quickly jump into this model that you mentioned just now, the one island economy model. Um, because I think it's such a scalable solution, right? But could you like elaborate more? What is the one island economy model for uh, people listening?
1: yeah, so for those who have been in the Philippines are um, I think you're well aware that Philippines is an archipelago of seven thousand one hundred seven islands. So we have a lot of islands, and and it's so hard to make the island sustainable in terms of food. Some islands would really like dependent from other islands. but there are also islands that are, gifted with good weather condition, good climate, good soil. And a lot of farmers are actually living in the island. And what we're trying to do with the one island economy is to model an island that is focused on agri-based sustainable development in terms of economy, environment, and impact socially. So the one island economy we started in the island called Marinduque. It's actually the heart of the Philippines and it's almost shaped like a heart. Um, We started it there because the island is mainly dependent on agriculture, both farming and fishing where 57,000 families are into farming and more than 20,000 families are into fishing. However, the island is one of the poorest and hungriest island provinces in the Philippines. So we said that it's very common, you know, in agricultural uh, places that The the people who are producing our food are the poorest and the hungriest. It's somehow like a crime. They should be like the one with so much money, so much wealth, because they produce the food. And agribusiness is the most solid business, you know, feeding people. However, there must be something wrong in the entire uh, value chain or the supply chain of food system, why it happened. And second one, um, the one island economy inspiration actually is how to make the islands of the Philippines uh, sustainable in itself. That, for example, you know, with this COVID pandemic that's happening, some islands that are not planting are suffering because there's no trading, no like planes going to that island, no ships or boats going to that island. So a lot of islands are actually starving. So our goal is how can we encourage all the islands in the Philippines to actually be self-sustaining in terms of growing the crops that can be grown in their land and, you know, be somehow dependent on, on growing their own food to sustain their population. So our goal mainly is you know, focusing on three major goals to build the one island economy. The first is zero hunger. How each island would actually be free from hunger. You know, no one is hungry, especially the women and the young ones and the poor people in the community. who so sometimes cannot afford to buy food, but they have a piece of land around their house that they can cultivate. A second one is zero waste. So in Agria's model, everything is zero waste. You know, we don't burn our uh, farm waste in the farm because we we convert them into organic fertilizers so that the farmers can actually use it for their next production or next cropping season. And uh, if there are, you know, produce that are not good, we also help the women in the farming communities to make jams, you know, they make like, a mango jam or pineapple jams or strawberry jams, so that those will not end into the landfill. Uh, third one is zero insufficiency. Uh, I'm an agricultural economist in background, um, so I really love the idea of how an island can be actually uh, improve in terms of its economic development through sustainable agriculture. So the zero insufficiency is when we enter the island. Right now, we're doing two islands, and there are five islands in the pipeline that we're reviewing. Um, every time we enter the island, we actually review if what's the major import and export of the island in terms of food. So, for example, just to give you a quick idea, uh, when we entered, started in Marinduque Island, we said that okay. Marinduque Island's number one export is coconut products. You know, they, they have 4 million coconut trees in the island, but the coconut farmers are earning only $60 every 40 days. It's very little income. And they supply all the oil in big processing manufacturing company in, in you know, in processing zone in Metro Manila. So we said, if coconut is their biggest export, what are the things that we can do out of coconut that could give higher value to farmers, right? So we develop products like coconut sugar that we supply to coffee shops in the Philippines. And we also like do honey production by introducing bees to increase the fruiting capacity of their coconuts, but at the same time, that gives them additional income. And we also do like, so, For example, if one farmer has one hectare of land with 100 coconut trees, um, the land is actually not utilized well because you, know, you, you plant coconut by 10, 10 meters by 10 meters. So there are spaces in between that you can plant superfoods like we plant turmeric and ginger, which could give the farmers a higher yield and higher value of their money so second one aside from uh, working on their export we also work a lot on their import so what's the major import of the island so for example marinduque their largest import is rice basically 90 percent of the rice are imported from other countries mostly thailand vietnam and some locally but then we study the island and we found out that they can actually produce enough rice because they have more than 1,000 hectares of rice land available that is not productive. you know. So we said, with this land uh, availability, what are the interventions that Agriya can do? So it might be infrastructure by irrigation system that we are trying to work with the government. Or it may be technology or access to good quality seeds that that they can use so we try to provide that intervention and maybe it's the financial capital for the farmers to start so we try to also provide the financial capital so we're kind of like a one-stop shop of farmers we provide information capacity building for transfer of technology and financial literacy but we also provide market to farmers so this is like the zero insufficiency um, goal that we're trying to to achieve you know so in every island we enter, it's not like a one science fits all kind of thing, right? So every island has different culture, um, it has different needs, it has different economics uh, activities that are happening in the island. So we always like assess the need and it also has a lot to do with political landscape of the island who's actually running the island in terms of politics Mm. because it affects a lot of activities to be done in the island Mm -hmm.
0: also. Mm -hmm.
1: Wow, it sounds like I'm reading a book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of creativity that has to go into making sure the island is sustainable.
1: Yes, it's kind of like easy to to explain but so hard to implement. (laughs) I'm sure, I'm
0: sure. Yeah. Um, okay, moving forward, like I want to talk a bit about, I actually, I I would, um, think that the agriculture concern right here is that, um, the farmers are not being paid the right amount of money or, or fair trading. Um, but one of the, will one of the concerns be also youngsters, not enough youngsters being involved in agriculture because it's not sexy, because it's laborers. What do you think?
1: Oh yeah, I agree to that. You know, uh, globally, that's actually a major problem. Uh, a lot of young people are leaving the farms mm. to, to be in the city, especially with all this digitizing and digitalization that's happening, which is more enticing for the young. Mm. And like, for example, in the Philippines, our average age of farmers is like 58 years old. Mm. Globally, our average age of farmers is 60. Mm. And give them 10 years from now, no one will actually grow our own food. Mm. And we're talking about this fourth industrial revolution, you know, digitizing, farming, like robotics in the farms. Mm. How can you implement all this fourth industrial revolution if you have farmers that are so old that they're not yeah. even open to adapt with all these technologies, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They don't even have a smartphone. They don't know how to use basic smartphone. Yep. And they don't have access to internet and mm. all of this world is talking about internet of things and fourth industrial revolution, mm. which is nice. That's where the world is heading. Mm. But let's not forget the fact that are the producers of our food are too left behind, yep. you know? So what I'm trying to say is if we want to really focus on seriously taking concerns in our food security mm. as a globally, we need to create 21st generation farmers, Mm -hmm. you know, the 21st century farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, These farmers, we need to encourage a lot of our young people to really see the value of the land Mm -hmm. and to really see the value of agriculture. Mm -hmm. And in this way, I think, you know, the introduction of agri-technology or farm tourism kind of thing and, and social entrepreneurship in terms of product development or value addition to farm produce will be more exciting for young people to come into agricultural space. Mm, mm. Because uh, the notion of people in agriculture is not sexy because especially in farming communities, you know, these young people would see the hardships and struggles of mm. their parents that... Um, they're cultivating their land by their hand. Right now, you can cultivate using machineries mm. or equipment that you can put in your land. Mm. You can fly a drone to assess the soil you know, condition and soil health. So we need to make it sexy in a way that it's fun for young people to be in agriculture. Mm. But I guess, Kim, the, one of the major problems also is... Financial support for mm. these young people. Mm. Yes, we may have the the they may have the energy to be in agriculture, they may have the the um, love for new technologies and adapting to all this agri technology. But if they don't have access to capital, mm. it's something that would hamper also the endeavor on mm. bring more young people because mm. a lot of old people they have they don't have the energy but they have the wisdom and the money right. Mm. These young people, they have all the energy, they want all this creativity to happen, they want all these innovations to be implemented, but sometimes their their pockets are not deep enough to actually fund all this. Mm. So, in a way, we need to assess that what are actually the needs to bring more young people in agriculture, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, Kim, right, we're more in this space of not only having the passion for change to create change and to mm. create impact but i guess we're on the space that we also find our purpose where we're passionate about right mm. so like for example me i'm i'm young i'm a young person and i'm so passionate about agriculture since i was 12 years old mm. it's been 22 years now yeah. um i'm passionate about it Because I'm also finding purpose in my passion. Mm. I feel I find my purpose as a human being in feeding people, in helping more farmers, in cultivating more land and in producing food. So a lot of young people right now are also trying to not only look for money, but also for purpose. Mm. If we sell to them that, hey, farming is sexy because the purpose of farming is feeding our population and, you know, This is the industry that we need to save or else all of us will starve. So a lot of young people maybe will change gear and go towards agriculture, right? And go towards innovating stuff in agriculture. Mm. So, and aside from that, uh, I also want to change how the narrative in agriculture, um, because most of the time, They're always saying, oh, agriculture is hard work. It's associated to poverty and drudgery all the time, right? But if you see all over the world, before the tech industry became so big, Mm -hmm. it's agriculture that is the leading source of business. You know, uh, even like multi Um, companies international companies they're mostly based in agriculture and food processing but how can we change that by incorporating more purpose Mm, right mm, so like mm. what we do i guess you know it's like very value adding and putting more purpose in what we do so maybe that's one of the ways that we can bring more young people in the agri-space
0: yeah, I, I'm. I'm actually reading like a book called "Infinite Game" by Simon Sinek. It's very much revolving building a purposeful business, um, and how to cultivate you know people, uh, an environment where people want to work in. Um, yes. Yeah. So I I I still want to focus on the problems right here before we go for a break. Um, because I want to because in one of your interviews, you mentioned that uh tourism gradually destroys agriculture. Um, which I I in I mean, logically, tourism has definitely increased along the years in the Philippines. It's supposed to actually prosper a country. But in your view, why do you think tourism are gradually destroying
1: agriculture? Uh, some of the areas that actually like tourism is affecting agriculture, mm. if they convert the land into industrial mm. kind of tourism, right? Mm. They cut the trees, they denude they the forests, and they convert the agricultural land into resorts. And some recreational spaces. Mm. Uh, But there's also another way of contributing to tourism, meeting the needs of tourism, Mm. but by also including the agriculture and enhancing agriculture. Uh, I'm a very big proponent of Mm. farm tourism, Mm. where you can actually meet both Recreational, mm. in terms of you know, you still enjoy tourism, but at the same time, you're contributing to the agricultural development of mm. a place. Mm. So, like in farm tourism, uh, we're actually doing it in our farm. Our farm is one of the first accredited uh, farm tourism destinations mm. in the Philippines. Uh, what we what we we're actually observing is a lot of young people are you know are going into this backpacking kind of trip, right? Yeah, a lot of young people right now, they want to go for a trip because of purpose. They mm-hmm. want to learn, they want to explore, they want adventure. Mm-hmm. Unlike in our parents that they travel because they want comfort. Mm-hmm. They want to see places, they want to take pictures, okay. right? So with this farm tourism that we're, we're trying to do, you're not destroying the agriculture uh, sector, but actually you're helping a lot of farms around to make their land productive. Because the moment you bring more people, these people will eat you know, these people want to experience how to be in a farm. So mm. you need to have experiential um, activities for this different kind of tourism. Mm. And I said from that, when these people come, they will also like want to buy yeah. and bring some, you know, gifts to their family. So it's like, you know, they go to see, they go to explore and mm. they also go to buy. Mm-mm. So this is a kind of tourism that I'm actually very strong in promoting mm. because... You're not industrializing the agricultural mm, land, mm, but you're putting more value and mm, enhancing the land. And mm. at the same time, creating a more uh, compassionate kind of tourism, mm, right? Mm. You're fulfilling someone's need to go out and, and, you know, enjoy the leisure of being outside or with nature. But at the same time, you're also creating profit in terms of running it into a farm tourism yep. uh, area, Nice, Um,
0: I think we got quite enough for the problems that are revolving um, (laughs) agriculture for the first half. Um, I want to take a break and then we'll talk a bit about yourself, like your experience and why you (laughs) are leading the agriculture business today.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Ever wondered what leadership is all about? Is it developed over time? Or are people just born with it? We believe there is a science behind leadership and we want to help you understand it. Take this journey with us, as we hear from renowned leaders from all over the world, over our range of shows, tackling key spaces in different industries today. Leaderonomics, the science of building leaders. Okay, we're back um, talking about Agria, all the way from Philippines and uh, we have Cherry Atilano with us and on the first house we talked uh, first half we talked about like the problems revolving agriculture right now we want to focus on cherry herself. Um, so Cherry I understand that you have given up a scholarship to be working with farmers and helping them to advance in um, the Philippines. Um, but then you also worked in Gawat Kalinga Enchanted Farm before, which I visited, I think around three to four years ago. It was such an amazing experience to me, but, um, could you describe a bit about your experience working there instead?
1: Oh, um, you know, Jik Enchanted Farm is such a big milestone in my life, I must say. It's actually the reason why I gave up my Fulbright Scholarship in New York, Mm -hmm. which when I was young and, you know, studying agriculture is my dream to pursue my master's and PhD in in my Ivy League dream school (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) with a Fulbright Scholarship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was in that bubble and I got it. And it's like... um, it's like an achievement for life, right? Mm. And all of a sudden, we started this Gawad Kalinga Enchanted Farm. And I was so involved. I lived there literally for four years when wow. the farm was nothing. It has no electricity, no water, no road. Yep. And we're working with people who were like outcasts of the society. They're ex-convicts, mm-hmm. you know. They were hard uh, killers. When you want to kill someone, you can just pay them money and they, they can do it for you overnight, yep. right? And some of them are are living in the mountains because mm-hmm. they're against the government, so they're lefties. And we gathered all of them to to be actually in that place. Uh, the reason why I love that place so much, but I need to live because I need to grow as a person also. And I know you know sometimes the place is just like big enough that they can already handle themselves, right? And you need to go and do something bigger as well. Um, When I was leaving there, it was like six months before my flight to the US for Mm. my scholarship that I asked a lot of kids in the village because we had around 60 kids in the village and and most of them are not in school. So Mm. I actually like put a little bit of my savings to send them to school and I found out. Uh, they're not in school because most of their parents, they don't know how to read and write. So mm. they're afraid to enroll their children because they need to fill out a form. And, and and second one, these kids didn't really have money to go to school. And one Saturday afternoon, I was asking the kids, so what's your dream in life? Mm. One of the girls said to me, uh, Ate Cherry, Ate means like big sister. Yeah. Ati Cherry, I want to be a Japa UK. You know, in the Philippines, it's so common to be a Japa UK. It's like a a girl entertainer in Japan that oh. you get like so much money. You get you work in a club, you pay, and then you send money back home to help your family. Mm. And then and then another boy said, Ati Cherry, I want to be a driver in Makati. Mm. Because they said, Makati, you know, the central business district mm. of Metro Manila. Makati is beautiful and so many rich people are living there and I want to be a driver for mm. rich people. And for me, I was like, "Hmm, there's nothing wrong being a dancer or a driver, but there's something wrong by not dreaming big. You know, I grew up like, dream big that your dream should scare you. If it doesn't scare you, it's not big enough. You know, you're so scared that you wake up every morning working to achieve that dream. So I asked the kids, you know what? Let's close our eyes again and let's dream bigger. Mm. You know, so after like five minutes, the kids like, "Ate, what's that one that it's wearing a white cloth and <laughs> you know it's like in the in the um, in the kitchen? Oh, you want to be a chef in the future, mm. but you should not only be a chef. You need to own a restaurant. Mm. You know." <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, I want to be a Dr. Cherry. So their dreams become bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. And then I said, oh my goodness, I think that's a wrong question to ask. Because now, I asked them what's their dream. And if I leave them behind because of my personal dream, who am I as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to their parents, they, they do not know how to read and write. And these kids will definitely will not be in school So it was like a personal struggle of giving up your personal dream Mm. to achieve the dreams of other people Mm. and more people. Mm. Who sometimes in life, I guess, Kim, you know, uh, we're so lucky enough that we're given chances and we have opportunities in life. Mm. But at the same time, there are really people that opportunity or chance is so scarce. Mm -hmm. It's not knocking on their door. Mm. So maybe my purpose is I was the one who was sent to them uh, and, you know, to assist them to dream bigger. Mm, mm. So after a month, it was a struggle because, you know, your family is like so proud. My mom already threw a party, you know, by that yeah. news that I'm going to study in Ivy League school for my dream. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you popped the bubble and the balloons and said, hey, I'm not going because I'm helping these people. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's also teaching me the value of compassion, yep. service, and at the end of the day, the the love for people, the love for family, that, you know, the definition of family is already beyond blood relation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These people are just like acquaintance to me mm-hmm. when I started. And now they become family and I want to dream with them and I want mm-hmm. to share the dream with them. Mm-hmm. So that was when we started Enchanted Farm. Uh, after four years, I left the farm to pursue Agrea, mm-hmm. but... That for years was so meaningful that even until now, all the kids in the village are like in university, some of them, they would text me and update me about their whereabouts, their achievements. And it's such a, it's such um achievement also in my part. And I just love it.
0: Yeah. That's a really, really <laughs> moving story. And I think you re-inspired me again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but let me pull back to the current situation where we're kind of in the pandemic, um, a bit post, uh, but I, I knew that you were actually starting a, in, an initiative called a Move Food Initiative and, uh, it has delivered like tremendous impact, like 180,000, uh, kilograms, I guess, uh, of, uh, produce. Being distributed, and then over ten thousand over farmers are being impacted. Um, I just want to know, like, do you, could you describe the everyday lives or routine of organizing such initiative? Knowing that it's it's tough, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's totally tough. It's like solving the food security of a country during the pandemic. That your hands are tied in a chair, and your only weapon is your reputation, your network, and a piece of smartphone. Mm. That's it. Um, we started that like three days after the um, uh, enhanced community quarantine or the lockdown happened in the Philippines mm. where a lot of people were rushing in the groceries and, you know, like panic buying. Some people would buy enough food for like one month mm. and because they have money. But those people who don't have money and lost their jobs during the pandemic, they, they couldn't also afford to buy food. Mm. And you also have farmers whose crops are actually rotting in their fields because um, during the lockdown, it was like Mm. mid-March, it is actually summer season in the Philippines. And that's also the highest uh, harvest season of Mm. production. Mm. So because it's going to summer, so many people will come to the Philippines as tourists and we need to feed them, right? Mm. But then... All of a sudden, uh, their markets are closed. No restaurants, no hotels, and even the, the the small markets are closed. And there's like one farmer who asked me. He's a pineapple farmer. Mm. He was messaging Agri on Facebook that he's asking for help uh, because he borrowed money from a bank and he's actually he planted pineapple for ten months mm. because the harvest he will pay for the graduation of his daughter and for me I was like oh my goodness how can I help you so you know I started helping this one farmer oh my gosh Kim I sold like 3,500 big pineapples in (laughs) I, I carried if you see my muscles now because I carried like hundreds of kilos of pineapples with a farmer and me yeah and a little bit of help from like uh, my staff, like two of my <laughs> staff were there because everyone's like working from home. Yeah. And with that one farmer, of course, the news like I posted it in my Facebook. You know, my friends helped me to buy and sell pineapples. And now we have more than ten thousand farmers mm. in our platform for mm. the last three months and a half. Mm. And you know, it's 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 ridiculous. Like sometimes how. Your pure generosity to help can actually, it's like a ripple effect. It's like a domino effect. Yep. This one farmer informed more farmers and more farmers informed more farmers. <laughs> and it's it got in the news and a lot of people wanted to help. And it's been fascinating. But the struggle is real, <laughs> as they <laughs> say, right? Imagine our operating Bringing food in Metro Manila where the lockdown is totally happening mm. and you don't have logistics, you know, you may find a truck but there's no driver because the truck drivers are afraid because of the virus is not in lockdown, you mm. know, the virus like all over and we're afraid to drive the truck mm. and You have checkpoints full of militaries and police. Mm. And, you know, speaking of that in the Philippines, military is pretty strict in the Philippines because it's really a mandate from the office of the president. And you need to go through like dozens of checkpoints Mm. every day. And it wasn't easy. And you have farms that farmers are not allowed to go out of their house Mm. because they have village lockdown. Mm. And you have orders in Metro Manila to fulfill that you need to deliver because people are so demanding. Mm. They don't have food on their table. Mm. So every day is like, you know, fulfilling and fixing the entire supply chain that Mm. is already broken to begin with Mm. before the pandemic, Mm. right? And... You're trying to fit in in that entire uh, puzzle of how to solve this problem, but I think we're so lucky enough that we have so many supporters. Uh, we report to the government and we asked help mm. uh, from our government, and they're very active to also help. Mm. And but more than that, the power of of good people, the yeah. power of kindness. Mm. It's I think I always a believer in that. Mm. You know that when you do good it multiplies mm. and more people will see it and do good yeah. in the process also. Mm. Yeah, so it's more of a collective effort actually mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. we made it happen <laughs> until <laughs> now. We're alive and kicking.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I know Philippines uh, or Filipinos for being like the people <laughs> of uh kindness, you know, like people are always very passionate to help and I always <laughs> can feel the warmth every time I visit like Philippines. Um, but that was a really, really great initiative, and I also saw the uh, a lot of pictures of you repurposing the produce. Very attractive, and yes. making it very yes. sexy. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but I, I, with I mean, with all these like amazing achievements, the US and award-winning social entrepreneur, uh, and all this pivot, and now I haven't even congratulate you as an ambassador <laughs> to UN scaling up oh, nutrition thank you. movement. <laughs> Um and with Thank 22 you. years of experience in agriculture business and sustainable food fis- uh, food system I want to ask you as a person have there been days when you just feel like giving up
1: Of course several days you know you I think I said like oh I think a cat has nine lives I died more than nine <laughs> <laughs> You know of course you know um Saving the world is like hard, right? Sometimes like, oh, I want to like do something. I want to save the world. But I think, Kim, at the end of the day, uh, you need to save yourself first before saving the world. You know, and sometimes it comes with maturity. When I was younger, I would like try to give up because why am I doing this in the first place? I have so many opportunities in life. I can just work in a corporate setting. Um, earned so much money. I was offered several times with so many big companies. And, and you know, for a very young age, my salary was just ridiculous. I think my one-month salary, I actually don't know how to finish all of them. You know, and you have, like, offered with an entire package. Mm. And you work, you know, under, like, a chairman's office with this kind of benefits. Mm. So, if you're so weak in terms of what you really want to You only live once, right? And you need to live it right. And you need to live it with purpose. Mm -hmm. I always believe in higher purpose. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think I'm not here in the world to live because of money. Mm -hmm. Because all I do is, when I was young, I must tell you that when I was six years old, my mom was telling me that the shortest distance in life is the distance between your head and your heart. Mm -hmm. You know, so my mom actually like getting my hand to measure it. And I said, oh, wow, it's a a very short distance. It's it's like a foot distance, right? Mm. And my mom said, if you don't know how to connect the distance of your heart and your brain, forget about life. Mm. Because I don't want to have a daughter who's successful. I want a daughter who's significant. Mm. You know, who's living a life with purpose, who's living a life that is useful every day. Mm. So I always bear that in my mind because sometimes it's like, too overwhelming, you know. Um, there was a point in my life that I don't even apply for awards, and awards were like given to me nonstop every year. I have like so many awards, yep. and I love it. Mm. I enjoy it, mm. you know. You enjoy the recognition, mm. right? Mm. And but at the end of the day, I'm always asking myself, is it feeding my ego, yeah. or is it feeding my purpose as mm. a person, mm. you know? I always look at my award. There was one time, 10 p.m., I was still in the office working. Mm. And, you know, all the awards are like arranged on the side of the wall. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Hmm." I actually got all the big, big awards Mm. in the Philippines in just 10 years Mm. that some people would get this in the retirement. Mm. Right. And me, wow, they're all in my wall. But at the end of the day, I was like pinching myself cherry are you getting these awards for your ego or are you getting these awards because you died several times and you're worthy of these awards mm. because you worked so <laughs> hard for them mm. and this is just a validation that you really love what you do and mm. you do whatever it takes to make it happen mm. um you know we're human being kim i think you experience it that <laughs> you know sometimes you get burned out yes that You're trying, you're pushing a wall, and the wall is just so hard, so big to push. Mm. You're climbing a mountain, and there's like a big rock, (laughs) (laughs) like, oh, facing you and like dropping you dead down the mountain. Multiple,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. And at the end of the day, I always believe that if your heart is set on doing good, Mm. you know, and you have this grit and tenacity as your strongest values you're believing in. Mm. And you're gearing towards a good purpose. You always survive. Mm. You may die. It's part of it. Mm. But you will die and and resurrect stronger. Mm. <laughs> yep. You know, That's the Filipino <laughs> ways as well. <laughs> yeah. You resurrect yourself stronger. You resurrect yourself laughing. Mm. And you know, and at the end of the day, you become wiser. Mm. You know, you're learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: okay. Um, that that's really very mm, moving, and and you know, I mean, you die multiple times, and and I think the one that um, really helped us to rethink and um, remind ourselves not to feed our ego is something that yes. um, should be a, should serve as a reminder every single day. Um, yes. But uh, as we come to to the end of our podcast, I want I want you to give. And advice for anyone who wants, who should change their perspective towards agriculture? Um, because agriculture is seen as boring, mundane. Um, <laughs> there's no future to it. But in essence, it's actually the most important business in the world. Um, so do you have any advice for anyone who's going into it or should change their perspective to it?
1: Uh, my only advice is give it a chance because you know agriculture I must say is the most sustainable business the world has during this pandemic, agriculture is the only sector that is surviving and thriving mm. and I'm in the agriculture sector. Um, I must say that our business is really thriving and double and triple because feeding people is good uh, business I'm always telling my team actually that and the farmers especially. Mm. If you have 60 years of business, mm-hmm. agriculture is one. Every person that is out in this world, if that person will live in the next 60 years, mm-hmm. that's business. Feeding that person in the next 60 years is mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. You know? So, give agriculture a try because it's really the most sustainable business. I will not dedicate my life for 22 years and more <laughs> if it's not, I'm telling you. And second one... um. Agriculture is not only about production. Agriculture Mm. is not only about tilling the land. It's about feeding people. Mm. You know, and feeding people is, you know, is, I think, the highest purpose, Mm. uh, I must say, because if we cannot feed our population, you know, we will not build a very strong human capital that is healthy, Mm. right? And a third one if you're young, Explore agriculture because it's not a waste of time. The moment you plant a seed, it's always life. Mm. You know, and you learn from it. If that plant dies, you still learn from it. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why it dies. It's the most hopeful profession. And you can also try it to be as your weekend hobby. If you're just, you know, looking for a chance. Mm. And But for me... You know, making farming sexy is real because it's a very profitable business. Uh, it's very impactful because you directly work with farmers. You mm. see how their lives change, especially in our work camp. I always love it when I visit the farms mm. and the farmers would say, oh, uh, Miss Chep, our roof is new because of our income from mm-hmm. the farm. Mm-hmm. We, we, we we built a new roof for our house so that when it rains, it's not raining inside mm-hmm. our house. You know, uh, my my children are now in school because of our income from coconuts or mm-hmm. from rice. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very beautiful. And at the same time, if you want to really contribute to a very... Healthy human capital of your own country, agriculture is is the way to go mm. because agriculture is the one that feeds your your population, right? Mm-hmm. And and lastly, um, I think aside from you know uh, agriculture, it's also like a way that we can contribute on climate change. Mm. Uh, they always say that oh, climate change, you know, the enemy of of climate, climate change, change. Is agriculture, yes, right. The more you plant, the more you destroy the environment. But actually, it's not the case, Kim. Mm. I actually founded Agreya. The name of Agreya is actually a play of two words. Mm. Agriculture mm. and Gaia, Mother Earth in Greek. Mm. Yeah. So agriculture and environment can actually work together yep. as long as you practice sustainable agriculture. Mm. So if you want to go into food production and protecting the environment, as well as educating people on how, what to eat and what technology the farmers would would have, you're actually going to, you know, uh, advocating for agriculture, environment, and education. Mm-hmm. So it's such a powerful uh, impact space mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, there's so much wise words
0: inside. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for your time and uh, really, really inspiring me and hopefully inspiring the nation as well uh, about the work that you do all the way from the Philippines and all the way from the heart of kindness. Um, so <laughs> so uh, thank you so much and I hope that uh, we will be able to spread more goodness in the future.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Kim. It's such a pleasure. And hopefully to those who are listening, you're not only going to be inspired, but you take action because action is the most important.
0: Yep. Okay. So if you like this podcast, stay tuned for our next episode. I'm Kim, signing off. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.